Uh, well, you can grab a seat. Uh, and good morning. My name is Jacob Smith. Uh, I'm on staff with our college ministry here at uh, Anderson. And man, it's just, it's a joy. It's a privilege to be here with you. And uh, I, I would encourage you to turn in your Bibles or on your phones or whatever to 2 Samuel chapter 12. Uh, and as you do that, I'm going to read a psalm. And, and I'm doing this because uh, when we're looking at the life of David, specifically this morning in 2 Samuel chapter 12, uh, we get to not just see his experiences, but we get to see his emotions. Uh, thanks to the Psalms and thanks to these basically journal, journal entries that David made through his life, we get to see that, that not just what happened to him, but how he felt in the midst of, of many different scenarios and circumstances and in many different highs and lows. What's incredible about the life of David is that we get to see not just his heart revealed through circumstance, but we get to see it refined by the Lord. And we see it changed in, in, in moments like this in 2 Samuel 12 and reflected in Psalm 51 which tells us, which says that David wants God to have mercy on him, right? He says, have mercy on me, O God, because of your loyal love, because of your great compassion, wipe away my rebellious acts, wash away my wrongdoing, cleanse me of my sin, because God, I'm aware of my rebellious acts. Lord, I am forever conscious of this sin against you, God, you above all I've sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight. And because of that, you are just when you confront me. You are right when you condemn me. Look, I was guilty of sin from birth, a sinner from the moment my mother conceived me. And so look, you desire integrity in the inner man. You want me to possess wisdom. So sprinkle me with water and I'll be pure. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. God, grant me the ultimate joy of being forgiven. May the bones that you crushed rejoice. David is writing and he's revealing his heart in the midst of an incredible sin, in the midst of an incredible brokenness. And as David is writing these words, what he's doing is he's revealing where his heart is. But as I said, what's beautiful is that God uses experiences like the one we're about to see in 2 Samuel 12. He uses struggles. He uses hardship. He uses these moments, these highs and these lows, to not just reveal David's heart, but to to transform it, to refine it, to change it into a heart that God would look at and say, this is a man who gets me. This is a heart just like my own. This is the heart I want all of my people to have. One that loves repentance, one that loves reconciliation, but one that was, again, didn't, wasn't just, he wasn't born with it. He had to be shaped and refined through, through difficult circumstances that sometimes looked a lot like this. Spend all your time waiting for that second chance for a break that would make it okay. So It's hard at the end of the day I need some distraction Oh, beautiful release You know, we all need people, right? We need people. We, we need people to lend their encouragement and their support. We need someone to high-five us when we lift our hand in the air, right? We need that. And more than that, even beyond just the encouragement and the strengthening we get to feel from other individuals, we need people's perspectives, right? We need people to help us uh, be better, right? And, and to improve not just ourselves, but just the things in our life. We want people to hold, help us hold our lives to a certain standard. We, we don't buy a floor fan on Amazon without looking 
at the reviews, right? And like the rating of how many stars it's filled up. Like we don't go to a movie without checking Rotten Tomatoes. I, I find myself, I am paralyzed and unable to go to a new restaurant in town until I like find one friend who's gone. I can just be like, okay, how was it? Right? Like I need to know. I need to know those things. Why? Because we know and value that other people have other perspectives that can contribute to us holding things to a certain accountability structure, to a certain standard. We need people looking out for us. We need people to call us out. We need people to, to pull us out of dangerous situations. We need people to step into our lives and say, hey, that attitude you're holding is toxic. Right? We've been in those moments where someone has to call us out and say, hey, that the way you're behaving in that meeting, the way that you responded to that situation was not great. Right? I need to be honest with you. I need, I need to call you out of, of some error that you made. That's I, Our campus pastor, Zach Nigliazzo, like a week ago, just had to do that with me. We sat down. He was like, you responded poorly in that meeting. I was like, you're right. right? I need that. We need people to step in and say, hey, the, the way that you're uh, holding on to this addiction, it's crippling. And it's destructive. And it's hurting the people around you. And maybe it's an addiction you didn't see until someone pointed it out. Or maybe it's one that you see, but you don't know how to get out of it. And we need other people to say, hey, let me, let me pull you out. Let me, let me help you move and find victory in that circumstance where you've only been experiencing defeat. We need people to step in and say, hey, the stress that you're experiencing right now, it's, it's avoidable. It's, it's avoidable. If you'd live these different ways, if you'd adopt this different mindset, because maybe, maybe we need someone to step in and say, this, this, this bitterness you're holding on to, this perspective you're maintaining, it's foolish. And you're only hurting yourself. Right? We recognize that we need people. Maybe not all day, every day, we don't always see it, but there are moments in our lives where we see, man, I, I need people. And God designed us to be like that. God hardwired us to need accountability with one another, to, to be sharpened by one another, to encourage each other as we move forward, and also to strengthen each other as we fall behind. Because God says, man, I want you to live to this calling. I want you to live to this standard, and you're going to need each other to keep you accountable to that. And so this morning, what we see in the life of David is David being held accountable. And what's so beautiful is that as this is happening, as he's being held accountable uh, to some of his actions, as someone's calling him out, he's approached at just the right time. And he's approached in just the right way. And, and he's approached with the whole truth. And when that happens, David gets to respond wonderfully. He answers that accountability with a, with a heart of repentance and a heart that desired reconciliation. It's a heart that we want to strive for. It's a heart we want to adopt. It's a heart, though, that, that came through hardship, right? So God starts off, or the moment starts off in 2 Samuel 12, where God is sending Nathan to David. Now, this is a great setup because there's two main characters, two main players in this story, in this, in this circumstance we're about to study. It's, it's Nathan and David. And, and as we look at this story, as we look at this unfold, what we need to recognize is that there's going to be times in our lives where we're in both of these roles. There's going to be times where we're a Nathan and we're going to need to equip ourselves and prepare ourselves to step in and bring truth and, and accountability to someone else's life. Where we're going to have to step in and, 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 and really call someone out on, on an area where they've strayed, an area where they're, they're in the wrong. But there's other times, maybe more times, where we're going to find ourselves like David. 
needing others to step into our lives to bring truth, to call us out when we're wrong. And so as we look at these principles, as we look at this unfold, we need to recognize we're approaching it with that lens, right? With that perspective, that, that there's times where we're Nathan, there's times where we're David. And, and what we see right off the bat, what's beautiful about this setup is that Nathan is coming in the Lord's timing. In other words, Nathan is approaching David at the right time. You see, David in 2 Samuel 12, there's a long context. He has a history of essentially treating women poorly. David has, for years, used women as basically objects uh, for his own sexual gratification. And when he gets married, he takes multiple wives. When when he becomes king, he takes multiple concubines. He's, He's repeatedly falling into this sin that God never approves of, that God never, never endorses of using multiple women for his own personal fleshly gain. And what started off as maybe just a slight deviation from the proper trajectory, over time and over years, he winds up so far off the path where he's supposed to be. He winds up in 2 Samuel 12, in the middle of having just experienced this incredible sin where he saw a woman you want to sleep with, he slept with her. But she was married, and she got pregnant. And so to try to cover it up, he brings in her husband and he tries to get them to sleep together. But the husband won't because he's noble. He's, he's committed to, to the war that Israel's fighting. And he says, hey, I'm not going to take those comforts as is, you know, kind of commanded. And so David's like, well, I got to do something to cover this up. Right? She's pregnant. This, this baby's coming. And so he has the husband killed in battle. And then he takes the woman and, and makes her his own wife. And she bears a son. And about a year after that son is born, the Lord sends Nathan to David. Now see, what's so incredible about that is there were a lot of other moments where Nathan could have stepped in. Right? It's not like people were blind to this. Like people, there were rumors, there, was, there had to have been speculation about what was happening. Right? Where this woman, she's, she was married to this one guy, but that guy's dead now. And now, oh, now she's David's wife. And oh, she had, a, she had a kid. And wait, when did they get married? When was that kid born? Like, it's Bible times where like, they could do like, simple baby math. Like, you know, give me my abacus. Like, I'm going to slide those beads and <laughs> wait a second. Like, they know what's up. Like, they can put one and one together. And, and as this is happening, you know, people are talking. There's speculation. Man, there's, there's rumors that are, that are swirling. And, and Nathan doesn't step in when there's rumors of an affair. He doesn't step in when there's this weird death or this weird marriage. He doesn't step in when this baby is born. Nathan waits until God sends him. Nathan recognizes, hey, I need to make sure that you know, even if I'm saying the right thing, it's got to be at the right time. And some of us are very aware of that, that, that what we say is, is really should be said in the right time. And sometimes even the timing is just as important as the content itself. Because some of us have said the right thing at the wrong time. And we're like, wow, maybe I shouldn't have brought up that issue at the beginning of our eight-hour car ride that turned into silence. Right? Like, we've been there. And we said, wow, maybe there was a better time. Maybe this good thing should have taken place at another moment. I have two kids. My daughter is three. Charlotte is three. And my son Lawrence is one. Uh, and Lawrence is at a stage of life right now where he, his love language is touch. Intentionally, he wants to be held and hugged. And, and he wants to like put his face on your face. If he's like near you, he just, he's like, let me absorb as much of your surface area as possible. Let me just be on you. And if he's not being held, if he's not being touched, he's very sad. He gets very pensive. He's like, what is this world? It's cold. It's dark. And I'm alone. I'm sitting next to him, but because I'm not intentionally like hugging him, he's like, well, 
I guess I'm just all alone in this cold, dark world. And Lawrence will find himself at times, there was a season of life where he was choosing uh, at about 4.30 a.m. Okay, about 4.30 a.m. every single day for this season, he was like, you know what? I need a hug, right? Good desire, great thing. And he would tell us that. He'd be like, hey, guys, I need a hug. I mean, like, literally, he was, you know, he would be like, ah, da, da, da. And, but I interpreted that as like, hug, please. And so, you know, his sister would wake up, my wife and I, we would wake up and, and I would go and I'd, I'd hug him. I'd hold him. I'd be like, hey, man, it's going all right. It's okay. Maybe you should go back to sleep. And he's like, hey, why quit the hug train now? And you just want to get up for the day. And he's like, all right, let's hug. And I'll tell you, that was a good desire, but the timing was, ooh, just slightly off, right? Like a little bit off the ideal. Like that timing was difficult. I want to go and I want to affirm that. I want to love my kid. I want to show him affection. But I'll tell you, man, if it's 4.30 in the morning and I'm hugging my kid, like I'm hugging a little tighter than normal. Why? Because it's a little bit harder to love him. I'm like, maybe I can hug you to sleep. You know, like, I don't know. But man, there's just something about that timing that was a little bit off of the ideal. And, and David is, is being approached by Nathan at just the right time. Not when Nathan thinks it might be right, but when God sends him. He says, this is the right time. I mean, when you approach people, when you have those conversations is so crucial. In, in our premarital ministry called Merge here at Grace, man, we get to speak into the lives of couples that are headed towards marriage. We get to prepare them for really wonderful, healthy marriages. And, and one of the things that we always stress, it's like week two, Right out of the gate, we tell them, hey, you're going to have tough conversations. You're going to have hard conversations with one another. But when you do that, you need to pay attention to your timing. And you need to HALT. Okay, we have this super helpful acronym, H-A-L-L-T. We say if you're hungry or, or, or angry or lost or late or tired. So it's kind of HALT, right? So if you are hungry, angry, lost, late, or tired, don't have that tough conversation. Don't have that conflict. If it's avoidable, sometimes it's not, but if it's avoidable, Avoid it. Move it to another time and another place. Recognize, hey, you know, maybe like when everything's crazy and like our car's breaking down, like that's not the time to talk about how I feel pursued in our marriage. Like if if you're in the middle of this like crazy circumstance, I mean, just, just wait. Like use the proper timing for that conversation. Nathan is approaching it just the right time because he knows, I mean, this is when God has sent me. Nathan recognizes, hey, the most important conversation I can have is with the Lord first. And then with this other person. Then with this other individual. And he's approaching him in this wonderful time. And and that's if you're Nathan. But man, if you're David, then what you need to be doing is you need to carve out time. You need to make time for people to speak truth in your life. For me, generally in this season, it's, it's been breakfast. It's early morning breakfast where I'll sit down with a guy and we'll just, we'll ask each other questions. We'll, we'll talk, we'll speak truth into one another's life. I have to make that time so that we're not playing phone tag. So this other person's not just trying to like get on my calendar somehow. I make time for someone else to look at me, to lend their perspective, to speak truth where I need it most. But what's beautiful is that Nathan doesn't just approach at the right time. He also brings the right methodology. He also speaks in the right way. Because again, just as timing is crucial in addition to content, man, the way you say something is just as important as what you say. Right? Your method of speech, how you speak, is just as important as what you're communicating. Avion. Aeroplane. Aero. Avion. Flugzeug. Surprise. Surprise. 
Sorpresa. Sorpresa. Überraschung. Papillon. Butterfly. Farfalla. Mariposa. Schmetterling. Beautiful. The Germanic language. Beautiful, right? Maybe not necessarily the exact you know, language you want to have a loving, gracious conversation in. Why? Because, man, the way we say things, how we say it matters. It can be the exact same word. But how we deliver that word, how we deliver that truth is so crucial. Which is why when we see Nathan coming to David, he starts off with a story. He says, there were two men in a certain city, and one was rich and the other was poor. And the rich man had a great many flocks and herds. Nathan steps in. He says, hey, I'm just going to tell you a story, David. Let me, just, let me just unravel this tale for you to enjoy. Two guys, rich guy, poor guy, rich dad, poor dad. Rich man has a great many flocks and herds. The poor man, though, he had nothing except a little lamb. He had this little lamb that he had acquired and he raised it and he grew up alongside of him and his children. And, and he used to eat his food and drink from his cup and sleep in his arms. It's just like a daughter to him. Right? Just a, one of those relatable, when you got a lamb that's like a daughter illustrations, right? We've all been there <laughs> in our ag society, right? You know when you get your barnyard animal sleeps in your bed and eats your food and drinks from your cup, Right? despite what your wife might think of sharing this bed and your actual human daughter, right? How she feels, but whatever. This guy is just so close-knit with this one lamb. He's like, oh, it's like, a, it's like a daughter. Here, drink from my cup. Sleep in my arms. I love you so much. But when a traveler arrived at the rich man's home, he did not want to use one of his own sheep or cattle to feed the traveler who had come to visit him. The rich man who has all these flocks, all these herds, all these non-daughterish lambs to choose from, he doesn't choose any of them. Instead, what he does is he takes the poor man's lamb and he cooked it for the man who had come to visit him. The rich man goes in and he takes this one little lamb, this daughter-like lamb from the poor man, and he kills it and he cooks it and he eats it. And at this moment, man, this is, this is drawing David in. Man, David's getting, David's getting invested in this story. I mean, this is like, I mean, this is as good as it got back then, right? They didn't have Netflix or like fireworks. Like this was just like, you had stories and that was it. And so David's like, he's getting in, man. He's like, this is, this is amazing. And he's like, what's season two? Like the lamb comes back? Like what's going what's gonna to happen? But he gets so invested that we don't even have a sign that actually Nathan opens it up for questions, right? We don't have any sort of sign that, that Nathan's telling this in sort of like a Blue's Clues door of the Explorer. Like, oh, where's the bad guy, David? Like, he's not necessarily opening it up for, for observations. But David just steps in. He, he stops Nathan where he is and he says, he's very angry. And he says, Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. Because he committed this cold-hearted crime, he must pay for the lamb four times over. David steps, he just, he can't even take any more. He's just got speaking in the process like, no, 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 it's wrong, 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 right? It's like, that guy's bad. So that shouldn't happen. In fact, because of what he's done, he deserves death. And he should somehow pay back. He should pay four times the amount of, of that lamb. He should go above and beyond and, and compensating the, for the wrong that he's done, for the transgression that he's committed. Nathan is telling this story not to manipulate David, not to, not to trick David, 
but he's telling this story to, to approach him in a subtle and, and calm way, in an approachable way. And he's, he's getting David right to this point of investment and involvement. And, and his attention and his affection is wrapped up in this story. And it's right at that moment as he's so mad, he's so angry, he's coming up with this justice. He says, man, this is what needs to be done. Nathan looks at David and says, you are the man. He says, it's you. He says, you are that man, David. And again, this isn't to manipulate him, it isn't to trick him. It's to simply show David, it's to help David feel the full impact of the truth that God has revealed. Man, that's, that's why when we gather together and we hear God's word taught, it's, we hear illustrations. I tell you about my kids and, and I show you videos about poor old Tom Brady, right? Like that's, that's not a, a thing to, to, to manipulate or to trick. That's, that's not something to just sort of boost our egos and be like, oh, let me unpack this word in this way or draw this certain illustration. Man, these, these are methods to help bridge the gap and help you feel the fuller impact of what God has said. It's to help that truth sink in. It's to set the stage for the Spirit to move. Nathan tells David, confronts David with an illustration. He says, David, this is who you are. This is what you've done. And David feels it. Man, it hits him. And what's so incredible in this, that we're about to see his response, but what's so incredible in this delivery is, is Nathan is approaching David with, with confidence, but also compassion. Right? He's coming to David, and we'll see it unpack more in a moment, but he's coming to him with, with the compassion. He's, he's subtle. He's not coming out of the gate swinging telling David how he's wrong and he's done these things and what you need to fix this behavior and change the way you do that or whatever it might be. He comes in with a story. And he comes in, though, also with the confidence that he's, he knows the truth, that he's in the right, that David's in the wrong. He says, David, you're this man. And that's a tension we have to hold as we approach people. We need to approach people with confidence, for sure, but also with compassion. With truth, absolutely, but also with grace. And David's allowing Nathan to speak in. And, and for a lot of us, man, when we're David, that, that means we have to pave the way for people to speak truth. It's not just carving out a window of time, but it's also uh, helping them speak that truth to, to be compassionate and confident as they approach us. That means that we can't get defensive. We can't push back and fight back. Because what that does is it alienates us, it isolates us, and it, it prevents people from walking in confidently to speak to us because they think we're just going to lash out at any sense of critique or feedback, whatever it might be. We should prepare people. We should give people helpful questions. If we want someone to really hold us accountable to, to the way that we're working or the way that we're living, the way that we're loving our spouse or our family, the way that we're behaving in these different environments, the way that we're following after Jesus Christ, we should pave the way for that conversation to happen by saying, hey, you should ask me regularly. You should ask me next week, man, how did my conversation go with this coworker? Ask me next, next week, how, when was I impatient with my children? Hey, ask me, ask me about how that conversation went of, of me wanting to share my faith with, with that friend who I, I just still haven't talked to. We need to find people that we know, people that we trust. 
We need to give them time to speak truth, but we also need to pave that way. We need to help them speak that truth by receiving the critique, affirming their confidence, helping them find the words to say that to help them be compassionate. And what's incredible is as, as Nathan's coming to David, it's, it's not even just the right time. It's not just the right way. It's, it's also he's coming in with the full, whole truth. He's coming to David with a full perspective, full understanding of what actually has happened. He, he comes to David and he says, hey, this is what God has told me to tell you. Why have you shown contempt for the word of the Lord by doing evil in my sight? You've struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You've taken his wife as your own. You've killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. He says, hey, David, I know what's happened. I'm going to give you the full perspective of what's occurred. He says, this is the whole truth. You have done evil in the Lord's sight. You've shown contempt for the God who loves you. And you've, you've struck down your eye. You've, you've taken his wife. You, you took a page out of, Paul, out of Saul's playbook. One of the tragic things about this story is David has actually done what was done to him. The king before him was Saul, the mad king Saul, who who fell out of favor with the Lord, fell out of favor with the nation, and kind of went insane. And part of his insanity stemmed from the fact that he was threatened by David. He saw David as this rising star. And so eventually Saul would get to the point of trying to hunt down and kill David, murder him, throwing spears at his face, just blatant murder. But before that, Saul was more subtle. And he actually tried at one point, he said, hey, I'm going to send David out to the enemy. I'm going to put him on the front lines. And he says, literally, I'm I'm going to allow the Philistines, our enemies, to kill him for me. And that's exactly what David does. Successfully to Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba, the husband of this woman that he slept with and got pregnant. He says, man, I'm just going to let the Ammonites kill him for me. So Nathan walks in, and man, he knows what's happened. He brings the truth. He's not relying on, on speculation or secondhand knowledge. He's not coming in with, hey, David, I, I think maybe this is how it went down. I'm, I kind of, I'm assuming that this and that. Like, there's some gaps, but I'm just going to kind of fill those with what I think might have happened. He's not walking in with secondhand knowledge. He's not saying like, well, he said that she said, and this guy told me that he overheard that. He's not walking in with these, these other means of, of, of experience. He's not walking in with these other means of gaining information. He's coming in probably with some divine guidance, some divine revelation. But he's also being faithful to, to come in and, and know, man, this is fully what's happened. I can, I can be confident in this. I'm not going to rely on, these, on speculation or secondhand knowledge. Why? Because those things are unreliable. B- because those avenues of learning and understanding, man, it's, it's faulty. If we're relying on that telephone game, he said, she said, they said, whatever, man, it's never going to end well. The truth is going to get Uh, messed up it's going to get broken tommy came to the airport to pursue his dream of becoming a pilot but so far he's only made it as far as happy burger it's going really well i'm not a pilot just yet but i've got three stars on my name badge uh this one was for being out a week this one was for putting the cheese into cheeseburgers and this one was for mopping up sick in fact, they're so impressed with me, they've actually made me be assistant supervisor. So now it's my job to train up the new staff. Can I have a burger, please? Burger? Burger. Press burger. Press burger. Onion rings. Onion rings. Onion rings. Press onion rings. 
press on your rings. I do still like to have the supervisor with me, just to make sure I'm doing it right. Fries? Fries. Fries. What size fries? What fries size? What fries fries? Small. 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 Press small, then. Press small, then. Strawberry milkshake. Strawberry milkshake. Chocolate milkshake. No, strawberry milkshake. No strawberry milkshake. No strawberry milkshake. I have to be careful, though. If I get too many stars, there's a danger I may become overqualified to be a pilot. Can I have the code for the toilet, please? Can I have the code for the toilet, please? Can I have the code for the toilet, please? 295. 245. 361. Right, it gets messed up. I mean, the reality is that if we're relying on secondhand information, we're relying on our own speculative you know, assumptions, I mean, that's not the whole truth. And when we approach people with that, it can be hurtful. It can be harmful. We need to make sure that we're walking into moments, tough conversations with the whole full understanding of what's actually occurred. That we've seen it. Or, or, or we know, we, we ask them. We say, hey, what, what happened? I mean, how did you see this play out? What, what's been your take on this situation? We walk in seeking to have understanding, seeking to understand the whole truth, to be grounded in that truth before we speak and before we start lobbing in our opinions or assumptions or, or behavioral changes. We want to follow the example of Jesus Christ, who is full of grace, Passion and love and forgiveness, but also full of truth. He knew the fullness of the extent of every situation, of every life he was stepping into. We want to be diligent to do that as Nathan. We also need to be diligent as David to just tell the truth, right? to be forthcoming, to be open and honest, to be authentic with the people that approach us. And, and man, maybe that's not every single person in this world that you're just like laid bare, but there's need to be certain people that you know and that you trust. People that can come in, you have an open door, and they come in and you turn all the lights on. That friend or that family member or that spouse, whoever it might be. Someone that you know, hey, I'm going to be open and, and you're going to hold me accountable, man. I, I'm going to be forthcoming with, with what's going on in my life with you. I'm going to, be, I'm going to play straight. I mean, I'm, going to, I'm going to give you the, the full take. I'm going to be 100% authentic with you and honest in these moments and these conversations. Right? That's why we create opportunities time and time again for you to be a part of community here at Grace. If you feel like, man, I don't, I don't know those people. I don't have those people in my life. We would love to talk with you more talk with you in the foyer. You can come and talk with me after the service. We would love to talk with you about maybe you join a, a group, a, a meeting, a class that meets on Sundays. Maybe you're a part, you could join a, be a part of a home group that meets midweek. But we would love to welcome you and invite you into a community of people who can know you and love you, that you can trust, that you can be open with. Because God says, man, I'm going to use these people. You need these people to be changed. Because when these people step in, at the right time, in the right way, with the whole truth. What's beautiful is David gives us an example of how to respond. David exclaims to Nathan, presented with this whole truth. He says, I've sinned against the Lord. Right? He says, man, I, you're right. He confesses. He says, I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replies to David, yes, and the Lord has forgiven your sin and you're not going to die. See, the beauty of our gospel is that our God loves us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
That, that while we were still enemies of the Lord, while we were still children of wrath, God says, I'm going to love you. I'm not going to call you to like change your way and change your behavior and do these other things and earn my love. He says, even in the midst of your death and trespass, I'm going to love you. I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ, out of heaven and onto earth to live that perfect life that you cannot live, to die that death that you deserve, and then to rise again, to be raised from the dead three days later, to prove, man, I have power over sin. I have power over death. I have power over these things that are holding you captive. He says, if we can call on the name of Jesus Christ, if you believe in who he is and what he's done, there's no condemnation for you anymore. You are forgiven. God says, I, I want to offer that to you, my people, my children whom I love. I want to adopt you out of sin and death. I want to adopt you into, the, into my family. Nathan says, David, you can trust that God has forgiven you. You deserve death. That would be just. And yet, You'll live. God's going to show mercy on you, David. David sees this. And in the midst of this incredible revelation, this incredible confrontation, this harsh truth that he's broken, that he's, that he's messed up, that he's failed, what's beautiful is that the heart of David, he doesn't run from God. Some of us, that's our inclination. We've done wrong and we're caught and we just want to flee. We want to run away. But I think the defining characteristic of David's heart, what makes him a man after God's own heart, is his willingness to repent, his willingness to be reconciled to the Lord. When he looks at that sin, he writes, first, or he writes Psalm 51. And he says, God, I want you to grant me the ultimate joy of being forgiven, that the bones that you crushed would rejoice. Right, we read this at the beginning. He says, God, I, I want you to, to, to maybe you've, you've crushed me, right, Lord? The, the weight of what I've done, it's, it's, it's almost all-consuming. It's almost insurmountable, Lord. It's, it's crushing me, and yet I know I can rejoice in the middle of that. Why? Because you will hide your face from my sins, because I know you'll wipe away my guilt, God, because I know you can create for me a pure heart, and you can renew a resolute spirit within me. He says, God, I know that you can change me. Lord, I know that you can improve me. I know that you can transform me. God, you won't reject me. I don't, I don't want you to reject me. I don't want you to take your spirit away from me. Instead, let me experience again the joy of your deliverance. Sustain me by giving me the desire to obey. He says, God, I know that you are good and faithful even in my faithlessness. Even in my failure. God, you're good. And he says, God, I want you to transform who I am. I want you to shape my desires. It's not just that I see that I've done wrong and then I'm like, well, I'm going to stop. He says, I see that I've done wrong. I want to turn around. I want to run the opposite direction. That's repentance. To say, I'm not just stopping. I'm also running in the absolute opposite direction. He says, I'm running away from this sin, God, because I'm running towards you. Because I want to be reconciled. I want to have this relationship restored with you. He says, so God, help me do that. Give me that desire. God, do these things so that I can then teach rebels your merciful ways. So that other broken, faithless, failed people... So that these other people who have made mistakes, that have, that have hurt others, that have hurt themselves and other lives around them, that those people, those sinners, they will turn to you. He says, God, that's my ultimate desire. It's not just that you would restore me for my sake, but so you would restore me so that when other people look at my life, they wouldn't see this king that just has it all together. I want people to look at my life and I want them to see, wow, there's a God who's good and merciful. That's David's desire. That's his heart. That God would draw all to himself. That he would use David's experience, even the depths 
of horrific murder sin. That God would use that to bring others to himself. To reconcile the world. We can look back and we can see that God was able to use a crucifixion. God was able to use this horrific murder by way of torture and abuse and rejection. God was able to use the death of Jesus Christ to make a way for this world to know him, for us to know him, to have a relationship with him. David didn't know the extent of what his lineage would produce, but he knew that God was good. And he knew that God was merciful. And he knew that God could use his mistake to bring others to himself. So, man, when we look at our lives, when we look at our paths, we need to be ready to seek reconciliation, just like Nathan. Right? To walk into the lives of other people at the right time, in the right way, with the whole truth, and say, man, this is something that, that needs to sharpen you. This is something that needs to change. This is, this is a, a good friction. Right? God has designed us as iron sharpens iron. God has surrounded us with other people that, that, that can bond together, that can strengthen us as we move forward, that can, that can pull us up as we fall behind. Man, we, we need these people in our lives. We need to be ready to reconcile, but we also need to be ready to be like David and to repent. To confess to the Lord and to other people. Say, God, I've, I've done wrong. Lord, I need your forgiveness. Lord, I need you to move through this. And for some of us, I mean, we know that we're going to fail, right? We should, all rec- we should all recognize that we're gonna, failure is inevitable. But it's how long do we sit in that failure? That's the choice that we make. Your ability to learn quickly from correction, your ability to learn quickly from failure, it's, it's crucial in your ability to be used by God for his work, for his ministry. We need to be able to hear it. We need to be able to learn from it. We need to be able to move past it. And we get hung up at these different spots. Some of us, we, we don't want to hear it, right? Because it's coming in from the wrong way. It's, this person doesn't necessarily have the right motives as they approach us and have this conversation. And so we're like, you know, you know I'm just going to shut this down. I don't even want to hear it. We close ourselves off to any sort of correction, any sort of feedback. Some of us, we, we hear it, but we're like, hey, it's not going to change who I am, right? You can just vent. You can tell me whatever you want to say, but ultimately, I'm not going to learn. Like, it's not going to sink in. I'm not going to let it take root. I'm just going to let you do your thing, and I'm going to keep doing my thing, and I'll just do what I think is best in my eyes. And yet, then some of us, we hear it, and we, we allow it to sink in, and then we just sit on it. And we're just Paralyzed. And we're still hung up on, on that piece of feedback that we received two years ago. And it's still weighing heavy on our hearts. We need to hear it. We need to learn from it. But we've got to move. David says, God, I, I see that I've done wrong. Lord, I want to change my ways. And Lord, I want to move forward as someone that people look at and they see the change. They see your work. God, they see your mercy. Lord, they see that that you change us and you transform us and you develop us through, man, those muscles, those muscles don't get large. They don't get stronger without those fibers breaking and reforming, breaking and reforming. God, there's going to be tension. There's going to be hardship. But God tells us in his word that, that we can trust that that, that that difficulty and that struggle, it's going to build endurance and that it's going to build into perseverance. It's going to build character that we need to be used by him for his purposes. So, man, we can move forward confident 
that our God is compassionate. We can move forward knowing that our God loves us, that he wants what's best for us, and that he's going to use other people to make us better. So let's go before the Lord and ask him, God, what's our next step in light of this truth? Lord, we thank you that you've given us a moment. Lord, you've given us an opportunity to, to see the example set forth by David and Nathan. Lord, the, see the perfect example set forth by Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that you haven't just given us words to live by, but the Lord, you've given us models to follow. And Lord, we just pray that you would show us, God, what's our next step? If you would take this moment now and just, just talk with the Lord, be honest with the Lord and say, God, I, I need you to show me what's next. Maybe I need to step into someone's life. Similar to Nathan, God, I need to step into someone's life and I need to bring truth. And I need to check and prepare about the timing and the, the method. And, and I need to know what, what's really going on. Or maybe we say, God, I, I, I'm David. And, and Lord, there's, there's something I need to confess. Lord, there's something I need to turn from. Lord, there's, there's a conversation I need to have. There's a structure I need to put in place. I need to carve out the time for someone to speak truth into my life. Lord, I need to, I need to pave the way. I need to give someone hard questions to ask me confidently, expecting my honest reply. Wherever you're at, whatever's next, just pray. Say, God, show me, reveal me. Lord, what's next for me? Take this moment and pray that now. God, again, thank you for this time. Lord, thank you for this day that, that as Pat shared, Lord, you made this. You made this day. And Lord, you have a plan and a purpose. And Lord, we just pray that we would walk forward in it. Thank God that we would rejoice in it. That God, we would leave as, as witnesses to who you are, to the mercy that you've shown us. God, let our lives, even in its brokenness, reflect that truth. That you love us. That you want what's best. So God, we thank you for today. We pray this in your will. Amen. All right, well, we love you guys. We'll see you in a week.